0: That's a pretty dramatic introduction there, huh? <laughs> Welcome. My name is Marty, as I said. I've been, I've been part of the fellowship here for about a year and a half. Uh, some of my family is here today. In fourth row there. And, uh, and uh, I got some friends. I, I see a couple here. Uh, anybody else that snuck up on me? Where's, uh, uh, yeah. So I, I think they, they came just so I wouldn't tell stories about them. Hold my feet to the fire. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, this is, if it, when this is all done, uh, my mother, who's right here, uh, you can blame her. It's all her fault. Uh, but uh, if you do chat with her after the service and she happens to mention a certain incident <laughs> involving a fire at a resort in Shushwap, Canada, just bear in mind that mothers are prone to exaggerate the accomplishments of their children (laughs) oh boy my poor mother anyway so um if you saw the little buzz thing you know they had me write a little thing there just to kind of introduce myself to you I was uh I was in youth ministry for a long time about 10 years Uh, I was at a church called Hillcrest Chapel everybody's heard of Hillcrest Chapel in Bellingham I was actually the first youth pastor there wait I won't tell you when that was a long time ago I was a YWAMer. Any YWAMers here? A couple, all right. So those of you who don't know YWAM, it stands for Youth of the Mission. At least on the outside, that's what it stands for. On the inside, we called it Youth Without Any Money, which was (laughs) very true. (laughs) And um, and then I got involved. I did a bunch bunch of stuff. I'm just sitting some highlights. But I was involved with uh, Vineyard Church in Canada for a number of years, Aldergrove Vineyard. Uh, I was on the church planning team for the uh, Aldergrove, B.C., vineyard, and then I started a vineyard church in my living room with uh, one other couple, and uh, uh, we eventually outgrew my living room. and moved uh, to uh, a building down on State Street. So, I mean, my, It was an old bowling alley. Uh, it housed the offices for Bethany Christian Services and the inn, which is the campus ministry for First Presbyterian Church, and when I went there, there was a big chunk of the building that was uh, empty. I went to find out if we could lease that, and I was talking to the folks at the inn. Found out they had a they had a soup kitchen called the Open Inn Soup Kitchen, and I found that they were looking for somebody to take that over. And I thought, boy, this just feels like a, a God thing, and I, that He was handing the baton to us. And so we we took that. I was the director of that for uh, seven years. As it was all set up, had a small commercial kitchen, a, a Hobart dishwasher, a Wolf twelve burner range, the whole the whole the whole ball of wax, and. Uh, uh, it was interesting. Uh, I ended up uh, meeting John and Carolyn Roy, whoever, and she's going to be mad at me for this. But I just was sharing with her, she works at the Lighthouse Mission, and John, her husband told me that. John runs the Birch Bay Bike Shop, a little plug there, go buy bikes. And uh, so I just, I, I know the, the couple that, that are the directors of the Lighthouse Mission, uh, Hans Erschinger was, uh, was a kid at uh, Hillcrest back when I was there, and he married a, a lady named Janelle Davis who had been in, in my church. Uh, in the Vineyard, she was one of our youth leaders actually, and they got they got married so I just was chatting, with her. so we have to say hi to Hans and, and Janelle for me and I just told her I'd been a pastor and we had a soup kitchen and she got this funny look on her face and she said, well where was that? And I told her and, and she told me, she started that soup kitchen when she was a 20 year old college student, isn't that amazing? Let's give her a hand, she's like one of my heroes and uh, and and, and uh, soup kitchen, we, when we were there we served a uh, I think about 120 130 meals uh, to every Tuesday and, uh, f- and Friday we had a clothing bank we had toiletries we had laundry service uh, we had hot showers and we wasn't just a soup kitchen we we uh, served a whole meal and uh, so we were able to bless uh, many people that way and it was all because of her vision to start that so that's really cool so well that's a good part of my uh, story I passed her for about 10 years but I did not take good care of myself. I uh, kind of, a lot of it's my own fault. I ran myself ragged. Uh, I, got, uh, I got very discouraged, depressed, disillusioned. And since I'm a good pastor and starting all my main points with the letter D, I will say I got doggone tired. Uh, I was absolutely exhausted and I crashed and burned. I quit, I walked away. <clears throat> and for 18 years, I didn't even go to church. Uh, and and my marriage failed and um, I ended up that's how I ended up out here just a mile down the road and I drove by this church many times I kind of felt like this church looks on the outside (laughs) 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 in need of a little repair but I felt stuck I wasn't sure what to do I wasn't real excited to be honest about going back to church and I finally I didn't know anybody here, so nobody invited me. I just—I I literally was talking to myself. You're just gonna go, and you're not gonna just gonna go once. You're gonna go for for three months, and then you're gonna then you're gonna evaluate. And it was really kind of my last. If this doesn't work, I think I might be done. So I came here with fear and trepidation. And I was really some of your parts of my story. I was really on guard. What kind of a place is this? And and uh, and you guys help melt my crusty icy heart so i want to say thank you uh, for that now having said all that you may be wondering what in the world is that guy doing preaching <laughs> not exactly a great resume is it <clears throat> but what i hope it says to you is that this is a place of grace it's a it's a place of new beginnings and so maybe you're like you're like me you're sitting there and you're like, oh, i don't know about this place is can I really be who I am? Can I let people know this is, this is my messy life? Or am I, do I have to pretend that I'm perfect and I've got it all together? And just the fact, even if I muff my sermon here, just the fact that I'm standing here is waving a banner that this is a place of grace. It's a place where you can start new. And uh, when Dan asked me a couple months ago if I would think about speaking, I was like, well, I, I, just, I never thought I would do this again. And uh, I was a little freaked out by it, uh, quite honestly. But um, I decided to do that because I want to be a part. I want to help. Uh, I want to be able to give Dan a break here and there. And, uh, and the second thing that I thought that could come from this, if nothing else, is that when I'm through, you may be very excited to have Dan back. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> amen? <laughs> Don't get too excited about that, but... Uh, Anyway, so uh, a couple of things before I jump in here. First one's kind of embarrassing. Uh, those in my small group uh, know this, my quad group. Uh, I have this propensity to get choked up rather easily. It's kind of embarrassing, to be honest with you, but I just don't seem to have a switch for it. So I've tried digging my fingernails into my arm and biting my cheeks. And I don't want to do that too hard because I like bleeding out of my mouth, which is... <laughs> Kind of weird. So, if I happen to do that, don't freak out. I'm not having a nervous breakdown, or maybe I am, but I'll be okay. Just give me a moment. And um, the other thing, we're gonna be looking at the parable. We're in a, a series called Grit and Grace. We're looking at the parable, some of the parables of Jesus, and we're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan today. And and because of that, I'm gonna need to talk about the Jewish people of this time, mostly the Jewish leaders, and it's not really in a positive light. And I want you to know it's not because I have some bad feeling about Jewish people or want want to be offensive. Uh, Us Protestants have uh, a bit of a trail behind us as well that isn't necessarily always exemplary. And uh, and just so you know, I'm actually part Jewish. This is true. I'm one percent Jewish. Dave Hiller wanted me to share this with you, so I'm like I'm like this much chosen, and uh, I don't know how what God's going to do with that, but. uh, but anyway, it's kind of cool. One of my family members bought me one of those ancestry DNA tests. Anybody have one of those things done? Nobody. I guess, oh, well, yeah, well, yeah, my son. <laughs> so it's kind of cool. You, you get this little kit. You spit in a tube. and put the cap on it. You put it in the mail. So I did that. And then three weeks later, uh, the FBI showed up at my doorstep. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> some flap about a fire in Canada. I would have thought the statute of limitations would have run out by now. But uh, anyway, so... <laughs> So we're looking at the the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you saw the buzz, I've actually renamed this. I'm calling it the parable of the hated hero. Uh, We have a slide. We've got my title on it here. I I do titles and then a subtitle. The parable of the hated hero or a loathsome lifesaver loves a lame outlander. (laughs) I'm inspired in my sermon titles by the Rocky Blinko Show. Anybody remember the Rocky Blinko things? Yeah, Really bad puns, sorry. Anyway, so let's pray. We're going to open the word and get into this. So bow your heads with me. Lord, thank you for your word. It is a light and a lamp to our feet, Lord, that leads us into a life of love with you. And I pray, God, as we uh, look into this, Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts, Lord, to make us a, a people of love that we would love you more, that we would love uh, your church more, that we would love our neighbors, and that we would love our enemies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. We're going to look at Luke ten twenty-five. Should have a slide up here on the screen for you. That's working. If not, just you can follow along with me. There we go. Okay, here we go. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, "'What is written in the law? "'What is your reading of it?' "'So he answered and said, "'You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, "'with all your soul, with all your strength, "'and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself.' "'And he said to him, "'You have answered rightly. "'Do this, and you will live.' "'But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, "'And who is my neighbor?' "'Then Jesus answered and said, "'A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho "'and fell among thieves.' who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came, along down, or came down the road, and when they saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Well, the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, Go and do likewise. So this is probably one of the most well-known Bible stories, uh, we, we might just think oh yeah I know that story love God, love your neighbor just kind of gloss over it and not look too deep in it and, uh, and miss a lot is this, is this a, a, a parable that's teaching us so just love God and do good deeds and that will procure your salvation is it, is it saying that? almost seems to but we know that as Christians we know that, that faith uh, comes by grace through faith we find that in Ephesians eight. It's not by works. It's by the atoning sacrifice of our Lord. We see this even in the Old Testament, uh, one of the prophecies about uh, the Messiah coming, uh, Isaiah 53, 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, does God want us to do good deeds? Obviously, Certainly but we don't do them to earn our salvation. We do good deeds as an expression of our faith with the goal to bring glory to God. Uh, We're gonna have uh, communion today at the end of the service and in the communion verse in 1 Corinthians 11, it it talks about that we remember the Lord's death. We remember why he died, that he died for our sins. So if this isn't a works-based parable, then what's it all about? So what we're going to do here is we're going we're to go back and we're look at, at the characters that are in this drama and, and kind of take a look at their lives, what they might mean, and then we're going to go back and look at the parable itself real quickly to bring some more of the meaning out of it. So uh, the first person, of course, we have in this is the, it's just a certain man that was going down the road, so we'll call him the, the victim. We don't know anything else about him except he was going down the road, got mugged by these thieves, and then we have the thieves, more than one, two, three, we don't know. Again, nothing more about them. They just did their fevery thing. And then there's the priest and the Levite. That tells us a little about, about what they did, but it doesn't really say any more than that. And Jesus doesn't develop those characters any more than that. It's interesting when you when you hear other sermons on this or commentators say, a lot of them, they spend a lot of time on, like, who, who is the priest and the Levite? Why did they pass by? And, we, and try to figure that out. But this, a parable is, is not a real story. It's a, it's a simple made up story with a simple message. So in reality, he's not even a real person. These aren't real people. Uh, I, and I think they're there, they're, they're there to set the stage for the two characters that are important. So Jesus didn't spend much time on these characters. So I'm not gonna do that either. Uh, the central character is obviously the lawyer. Okay, As in some translations, Call that an expert in the law. So this isn't like Perry Mason in a you know a Pharisee suit, you know, wearing a funny hat. This is an expert in the law. So we want to think this is a somebody. He's a like a theologian or a Bible scholar. Uh, he's an expert in the law of Moses. He's spent his life studying, interpreting, and teaching the law. So these guys, as you know, there's there's three c- sort of classifications of people, if you will, that that Jesus deals with in his ministry that that uh, it doesn't go so well. It's the Pharisees, it's the scribes, and the teachers of the law. And he kind of lumps them all together. And in Matthew 23, he pronounces seven woes on them, which is not a good thing for the, the Lord. duty. It's a little word with a big meaning. And he calls this group of people, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law. He calls them hypocrites, blind fools, whitewashed tombs, and a brood of vipers, which kind of put a damper on the relationship. And uh, but, but these were people that uh, they loved the word of God. They studied it. Uh, they valued it. They were people of prayer. They believed in the Messiah. They believed in the resurrection. A lot of beliefs were actually similar to us as Christians. But even though they believed those things, something happened along the way that threw them off course. It distorted their, their thinking and the way they, they looked at things. And it's, it's amazing to me that... They they reading the word and longing and praying for the Messiah to come and they and they were so twisted up in their hearts that now the Messiah is literally standing in front of them and they can't see it because they're so blinded. Uh, they took the law and they and they and they and they made sub-laws and sub-laws to the sub-laws. They took the, the scripture about the Sabbath day, which Jesus said the Sabbath was, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And they literally made 39 separate laws to define what work was. So they, could, they wanted a checkbox. I, I did this, I, and I'm a good boy. I've, I've got righteousness because I obeyed this law. And the crazy stuff, like one of the laws was you couldn't start a fire on the Sabbath. So if you needed a fire, you had had to keep it burning from the day before, or they even allowed you could hire a a Gentile because, you know, those guys don't matter. You could hire a Gentile to light the fire for you. You may have heard this phrase in the Bible, a Sabbath day's journey. What that was was a certain distance that you were permitted to walk on the Sabbath, 200 cubits, which is about six-tenths of a mile, and that was okay. If you, you walked a step beyond that, that was work and you were sinning. remember there people came to uh jesus and said how many times do i need to forgive my brother seven times putting a number on it And and what did jesus say no and depending on the translation i guess this is kind of obscure in the greek it either says 77 jesus said 77 times or in some translations seven times 70 which would be 490 if you're a legalist and uh, But the point was, it's a hyperbole. He's making this exaggerated statement to make a point that there's not a limit. When I want you to forgive, there's not a cap on it. You don't get to quantify this, which they were so prone to do. That's what they did with everything. And so these people, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they fell prey to a malady that is common to religious people everywhere. They became very proud. Proud of their knowledge of the scripture. Proud that they didn't sin like common people did. Proud that they didn't associate with morally repugnant people. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8.1 uh, kind of states their condition. It says that knowledge puffs up, makes us get a big head, but love builds up. They focused on truth rather than the truth giver. When we come to the word, it's, it's not a magic book that if we just get the words in us, that that's going to do something good in us. And in fact, I would say this. If we don't aim our hearts at love, then we risk becoming proud. And that's what happened to them. 1 Timothy 1.5 uh, says, The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. One of the things that I, I've tried to adopt in my daily practice, my time with the Lord is that i don't i don't open this up until i've prayed for god to orient my heart towards love that i don't go into the word to to find anything or be anything other than a loving person and so i prayed the prayer uh that i prayed at the beginning that that i would become a better lover of god of the church of my neighbor and even my enemy so we uh we see we see the heart of the pharisees they focus on truth and not to truth giver and then there's a parable it's a parable of the tax collector and, and the pharisee and, and i don't know if anybody's gonna be preaching on that so i don't steal too much of the thunder but we got a, a slide for that and this this really shows uh really plainly the heart of the pharisees and the scribes it's found in luke 18 starting at verse 9 it says to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else jesus told this parable two men went up to the temple to pray one a pharisee and the other a tax collector The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a 10th of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm gonna confess something to you, and I know that none of you have done this. But one of the first times that I read this verse, Uh, I always try to insert myself into Bible verses and try to relate to the person that's there so I can really uh, get a sense of this. And so I looked at this. I can't say that I identified with this very penitent uh, tax collector. And I didn't really feel like the Pharisee. And I think I said something like, oh, Lord, I'm sure glad I'm not like this Pharisee. And then it hit me. Ah, (laughs) it got me. (laughs) And that's actually one of the functions of a parable, it's a story you get drawn into. You don't put your defenses up because you don't know how it's going to end, and you get sucked into it. And before too late, it, it turns the tables on you. go, oh, that's me. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> I only did it once. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But you see all the eyes in, in, in this sentence, this Pharisee? He says, I thank you, though. I'm, I'm not like other people. Uh, I give a tenth of all I give. With this Pharisee, it has a problem. He has a, actually has a vowel problem. Anybody want to guess what the vowel problem is? I. Too many letter I's in there. So I've come up with a name for this. You're going to love this. I call it irritable vowel syndrome, <laughs> or IVS for short. <laughs> yeah, brother. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> so symptoms may include a swollen head and a shriveled heart and that's and that those were the symptoms of of this teacher of the pharisees of the scribes so so that's our that's our lawyer that's our expert in the law and then there's a samaritan man but again this is a made-up story so it doesn't tell us doesn't describe much about him he's just a samaritan and he comes along and then he goes into great detail about all the care all the mercy that this samaritan man poured out on this on this victim we don't actually know if he was he may have been jewish but we don't actually know so, Jesus, in this parable, uses the Samaritan. Well, who were they? What did they represent? Well, if you know anything about the Samaritans, they were considered half-breed, uh, half-breeds. They were uh, descended from Jews that intermarried with Gentiles. So, of course, that was repulsive to an Orthodox Jew. Uh, they only accepted the law of Moses and rejected the prophets. So, you know, they were... They were uh, they were wrong in their uh, theology or their beliefs, and they worshipped at Mount Gerizim rather than in Jerusalem, where we were supposed to. So they were wrong in every way. But probably the worst thing is that some years uh, before this account, some Jewish men infiltrated, uh, some Samaritan men, excuse me, infiltrated the, the Jewish temple, and they and they dumped the bones of dead bodies in the in the temple courtyard and in the and in the uh, and in the sanctuary. And they did it on, this, on the Passover. Obviously, they did it on purpose. You couldn't have done a worse thing to these Jewish people, to completely defiled their most holy place on one of their most holy days. The utterly contemptible Samaritan person was hated by the Jews more than even a Roman was. So... So those are our players. And to really get a, a grip on what's going on here because our central character is this expert in the law is to understand when Jesus makes the hero of his story a very despised person, like the worst person that they could literally think of. You know, how, how do I connect? How do I feel how this expert in the law felt? How, what's he thinking? How's he reacting? And, and I really hate to do this to you and uh, you <laughs> I may need to ask your forgiveness ahead of time, but we'll pray for healing afterwards, so so inner healing, healing of memories, so here's what I want you to do, I want you to think about the last time that you watched the news, okay, and those people that made you really angry, and you wanted to throw your television set out the window or flush your smartphone down the toilet, okay, you got that person, is that dialed up, is, I'm seeing some bad looks here, and you might be thinking, how dare you? You've got to be kidding. There's no way. Well, it's not an exact correlation, but it's, that's, that's the dynamic here. Jesus picked the most reviled person that he could think of. If Jesus was to come to me and, and I were to ask him, what must I do? He wouldn't tell me the parable of the good Samaritan. I don't, I, wouldn't, I don't know if some of you are Samaritans. I have no idea. They don't mean anything to me. I'm not mad at the Samaritans. I don't any Samaritans in Birch Bay he would pick somebody that i would have a really hard time with a really hard time so that's what this guy's faced as. so we got to have a little bit of compassion uh, for him in this that jesus is trying to break through into this man's life trying to bring him to the end of himself so we so now we know kind of our two main characters we're just going to hit some highlights um in the actual parable so we remember the expert he came to jesus and he said what must i do to inherit eternal life so it looks like he's got a little bit of ivs there Uh, to me what must i do and his request isn't even a sincere request the bible tells us that he came to jesus to test him now we don't know uh you lost me there or i lost you um what the motive was, if he just was curious about what this young upstart preacher was talking about, if he was looking for some dirt that they could later use against him, which we know they were trying to do. And so, uh, so he asked this question, and, and Jesus, in his, of course, his very masterful way, he turns it all around on the sky and he, and he turns the question back to him with another question he says what does it say in the law so he's meeting him on his own turf it's his, it's a home game it's it's a home turf it's it's his wheelhouse this is the law he's probably thinking oh man this is like a sunday school or sabbath day Sabbath school uh, lesson every every jewish kid knew uh, uh, what the answer to this was it's called the the great the great uh, commandment uh, when he asked him this question it's, love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. They, they knew that. So it's an easy question for him, and so he answers. And then Jesus almost dismissively says, yeah, you answered right. Go and do that, and uh, you'll have life. And almost just dismisses it. I don't know if this guy was expecting a rebuke or expecting an argument, uh, but it's almost like this was the, the point where there's like this little crack in the armor. He doesn't walk away and go, okay, well, you know, love God, do good deeds, and I'm, I'm all set. And so... He comes back, and it says that, but wanting to justify himself, a little bit more IVS going on here, it's not a good thing to try to justify yourself. He, he asks this question, who is my neighbor? And the and, and the fact that he would ask the question actually shows his heart. He thinks there's parameters on it. He's got it limited in his mind. Who, who's my neighbor? Well, those are the people that are like me and my family, my friends, my fellow Jews. That, that's who my neighbor is. But they, they had excluded in their mind other people, Gentiles, Romans, and certainly Samaritans. So <clears throat> then Jesus uh, uh, so, uh, comes to the end of this and, uh, and then Jesus uh, brings us to a head. And he, he asks him, "So, which of these three—the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan—who had mercy? Who had mercy?" And of course, he's he's trapped, and there's only one. It's not like, oh gosh, was it the priest? Was it the Levite? Well, we you know they just walked by; they didn't do anything. And he, and his answer is really interesting. He says, "He who showed no mercy." It's almost like he couldn't even say the Samaritan. He didn't want the word Samaritan to pass over his lips because he was so despised. And the answer to the question, who is my neighbor, is that there isn't an answer. There isn't a quantifiable, well, it's these people and it's not those people. So how how do I check the checkbox? How do I know if I've I've been righteous or not? You think about the, uh, the, the, the victim and the Samaritan. They had nothing in common, probably. If he was Jewish, Samaritan, they didn't live on the same street, the same town, same city they didn't share the same religion the same race or nothing alike the only thing was that that this guy was traveling on a road and the the, the samaritan happened to be going by and this person then is presented in front of him someone who needed his mercy and that was that was really the answer to the question my neighbor is anybody that i cross paths with who needs mercy anybody who needs mercy and then he says to the the expert in the in the law go and do likewise so this is the critical point in the, in the story. What, what's the expert in the law, what's he gonna do? What does he do? Well, we don't know. <laughs> don't you hate that? I know when I was a kid, uh, there was a, these TV shows, there was one, it was called, I think it was Lost in Space. Anybody remember Lost in Space? And when they do that, my dad told me about it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, it would, they would do an episode and they would start like the second episode and then it would freeze frame and then it would say, remember the dreaded words? To be continued. And I was like, oh, I hate this. They, they had you because they created this tension and then, you, and then, you know, this was a couple of years before Netflix, so you couldn't binge-watch the episodes. You had to wait two weeks, or a week, excuse me, before you could watch the next, and then they do it to you again. Well, I think, in, so we're, what we're feeling in this story is tension we don't know, and it makes us stop and kind of, well, I, I you know, we want to put a bow on it, and, you know, every, and everybody did, you know, the right thing, and we all lived happily ever after. So we don't know. Maybe this guy walked away with his heart as hard as it ever was, Maybe he actually repented. Maybe he said, "Oh man, that your parable got me." Or maybe he continued to try to justify him in himself. We don't know. We can only speculate. Maybe he went into this mode of maybe arguing with Jesus, like, "Well, okay, so I know that I'm I'm a sinner, but I'm not like a sinner like he's a sinner, like a Samaritan is a sinner." And 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 these the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers, they would have actually liked this. I think where we'd have like a grade one center, and a grade two center, you know, on up, you know, order of magnitude worse. And he may have said, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm maybe like a grade one center or grade two center, but these Samaritans, these are like a grade fifty. These people are completely despicable." And and, and tr- again, trying to justify uh, himself, uh, but we don't know. And and I, ha- I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, what would, if he was doing this? What would what would Jesus do? he's going on trying to justify himself and I had this like this picture in my mind that, that Jesus I'm going to borrow from another story maybe Jesus stooped down with his finger maybe he wrote something in the dirt and then maybe he stood up and said okay my lawyer friend you can go ahead and throw a stone at your Samaritan brother you go ahead you're, you're only a grade one sinner he's 50. Didn't see himself. Jesus is trying to bring him to the end of himself. I was singing about the prophet Isaiah, who was certainly a, a holy person. And he had this in Canada where he had a, a vision of, of who God was in light of who he was. You remember that? And he says, Woe is me. I'm undone. Absolutely undone. He wasn't probably justifying himself saying, Well, I'm not as bad as those guys. So what Jesus is doing it here is, is uh, in James, it tells us that the, the law uh, is like a mirror, that we can look into the law and something's reflected back to us. And, and if we'll look deeply into it, we can see who we are. So we look into the mirror, but if we just glance, we just glimpse and then turn away, we're gonna forget what we look like. So if I was to take my mirror and kind of do a quick glance, I go, gosh, I never realized how much I looked like Bradley Cooper. and uh, and then I'd I'd look a little bit more deeply and I'd go well I never realized how much I looked like Bradley Cooper's grandfather (laughs) after he'd been dead for six months (laughs) and um, so that's what the law does it reflects back to us who we are the you can't fix yourself with the mirror the mirror can only show you here a few weeks ago I was looking in the mirror I try not to do that too much at my age and I noticed a couple of spots, I had a spot on my nose, I had a spot on my forehead, a spot on my cheek, and I do have a growing uh, garden of horrid age spots. And, uh, but I saw these spots, they look kind of new, so I went to the doctor uh, and uh, sent me to a dermatologist I had some precancerous spots something to be worried about, and then they burned those off. So I looked into the mirror, I saw these things that needed to be taken care of, and then I went where somebody could take care of them. But I had, I, I avoided those, let some months or years pass it may have been not a good thing so jesus said that he came to call the righteous and not sinners to repentance so he draws this line and then was like well you know maybe this this expert in the law doesn't really want him see himself maybe as a as a as a sinner but you don't get jesus unless you're a sinner it's the only people he came from so if you if we if i see myself as a righteous person then i don't need jesus right I remember years ago I was, I was talking to a friend, sharing the Lord with him, and I got through, and they said to me, "Well, I just don't feel like I've done anything all that bad." I didn't sense their need for it, and so then I knew I knew how to pray for that person that God would convict them, show them, and eventually that happened. So, um, so we look in the mirror and we see, and then and then we don't, don't want to try to wash your face with a mirror; it's not going to turn out very good. And some people try to do that, so. There's another mirror kind of a story. Remember, I want to go over it real quick here. It's a rich young ruler. Uh, remember that story? Kind of similar. It comes to Jesus. What must I do to be saved? They talk about some of the commandments. Interesting, not all of them. And then he says to him, "Oh, well, I want you to do this one thing. I want you to go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And what's the Bible say? That he left sad because he had a lot. Jesus could see this guy, his problem, was covetousness or greed where our expert in the law he had a different problem he was his hatred for for Samaritan people and and so uh so he goes away and 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 uh the disciples it says were amazed and and that they said to each other who then can be saved and this guy was pretty righteous and Jesus looked at them and this is the key and it says with man this is impossible but not with God all things are possible with God I love the, the 15th chapter of the uh, book of John. We're going to put that up for you to see. And, and in this uh, uh, section of scripture, it, it reiterates this, this theme that we need to understand here is that that apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So I'm going to read through. Uh, I, I edited this for brevity because it's, uh, it's about 17 verses here. So I cut it way back so we could hit the highlight. So let me, let me read that to you. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself and must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is my command, love each other. And now if you notice all the repetition in there, this is what I call a pile driver scripture. You guys know what a pile driver is? You ever see when they're building a dock, like a ferry dock and the big treated post and they bring this machine in, it just, it just pounds on those posts, buries them deep in the ground so that they can't be moved. I recently took a trip over to Port Towns and to see my sister. And, and uh, I don't know, I rode my motorcycle. I don't know if I, uh, with my motorcycle helmet, if I looked like a crash test dummy or what, because this, this guy really hit the dock hard. We bounced off it. It's a bunch of us motorcyclists in the front, and we, uh, we were all almost tipping over on our motorcycles. But those pilings were driven really deep into the ground. And that's why you look at this this verse. It's, it's seven times it says, remain in me, remain in the vine, or remain in my love. I think maybe the Lord wants us to get this that this is and you know, we have to remain in him and then five times it says that as a result of remaining in him that we would bear much fruit that's how we're going to love our enemies uh, we're in this series called grit and grace and I think when it comes to loving our enemies we need a lot of grit and probably a truckload of grace now our neighbor doesn't include just uh our enemies, it could be our, it's our family, it's our friends, it's the person sitting next to you this morning, it could be somebody here sitting right next to you, and, and what they really need this morning is some mercy, some grace, some kindness, anybody ever been there? I've come here like that, I did put up a sign that said that's what I needed, but that's the way I came, and uh, so <clears throat> grace and grit, when it comes to our enemies, I know for me, there's no way that I'm going to live my I'm just like you. Know, I watch the news. I get mad. I yell at my television set, and uh, sometimes I just have to turn off because I can't take anymore. But um, but here's here's what I know, and well, and I and I'm sure I'll do it again, uh, probably tomorrow around water coolers and uh, coffee shops. We'll be will be in the darkness. All the things that we see going wrong in our in our country and in our world that are driving us crazy. Um, God's up in heaven, he's listening to us, complaining, cursing the darkness. And uh, I found this uh, great, you probably heard this before. Um, uh, There's a, a, a Methodist minister in England named William uh, Watkinson and in a sermon that he called uh, The Invincible Strategy. He said this, evil is not overcome by denunciation, but denunciatory rhetoric is so much easier than good works. Yet it is far better to light the candle than to curse the darkness. So, there we go. We got a candle there. Now, got to check on my mom here. She's seeing me in the near vicinity of fire, and she, she might be getting a little twitchy. Are you okay there, mom? Evil isn't overcome by denunciation. And yet we spend so much of our time den- denouncing everything around us, don't we? Or maybe it's just me. It's just me. So this morning wrapping up here. Um, I'm going to ask you to do something great. Not something big, but something great. So I want you to, next time that you're listening to the news and you're getting mad, maybe you're tempted to hate those people. You know who I'm talking about? Those people. Okay. Just think about it. I'm telling you what to do. I just want you to think about it. Turn the news off a couple minutes early take five minutes and go for a walk and say a prayer we would ask God God would you come look at our world we we have made a huge mess out of this place would you come in your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness and do a great work in us anybody here done any reading if I said the first and second great awakening do you know what that means the Jesus revolution anybody know about that one you really should read about this. In, in our country, there were a couple of periods in history where God moved in amazing ways in very short amounts of time. Go back to First Great Awakening was a man named uh, Jonathan Edwards. Uh, George Whitefield, who was a British evangelist, came and began preaching around New England this, and this revival broke out where people uh, by the hundreds and thousands came to faith in Christ. And then it kind of lapsed and then there was another movement. Uh, evangelists like Charles Finney uh, and then D.L. Moody, and, uh, and then up through Billy Graham. There's literally been millions of people swept into the kingdom of God. And then the Jesus Revolution. Uh, the estimates that anywhere between 300,000 and 3 million people came to the Lord just during the Jesus Revolution. Now it's messy. Revivals aren't perfect. Uh, you know, I, I have four sons. I was there. I cut the cord on all four of them. And it's messy. Life is messy. And and uh and that's the way it is but but if we knew what god what god's done in the past to give us faith or what he could do in the future some of us here somewhat recently remember hearing about revival that happened in asbury anybody remember that one okay that was just a little taste of what god could do and wouldn't it be better if god's up in heaven and he's listening to us he's listening to us maybe if we're honest kind of hating on people but instead we stop and we lift up prayers as one, millions of people, do you think God might answer those prayers? I think it's worth a shot. And I think, I don't know, I'm not a prophet, but, but I, look, I look at the future and I think, boy, you know, this could, this could get dark. Things could go really sideways. I don't know that. I hope it doesn't. But what I know is that the church can be at its very best in the darkness. Just a little light dispels a lot of darkness. And I think if the church, if we'll take that step forward to really be the people of God who love anybody that comes across our path. And we really we need to stop, we need to stop hating people that Jesus loves. Right. I mean I, they're, they're doing bad things, but I'm a bad person. It's pretty hard for me to be at this point in my life, to be very puffed up. I was a pastor that quit. I was a pastor whose marriage failed pretty hard for me to go I'm really something because I know that I'm not and when we look at the world you know one of the reasons Jesus is waiting to come back is because he wants a great harvest of souls all those people we get really irritated he he's longing to lavish his love on them he's waiting you know if you guys were here and Dan did the sermon about the uh, the prodigal son anybody here for that one you remember when he ran down the aisle do you remember who was on the other end of the aisle? <laughs> that wasn't planned on my part. I, I'm up here. I could kind of tell he was going to do something. And uh, for those of you who weren't here, or Pastor Dan, uh, he was up here preaching about the, uh, the, the uh, prodigal son. And, and he was illustrating uh, uh, the father running to the wayward son, the one who he wasted his inheritance on prostitutes and wild living. And as soon as the father saw him, he ran to him. Well, Dan had planned, well, I'm going to run, and hopefully I can find somebody, you know, to run to. And I just, I'd been on the worship team that morning. I was standing right at the end of the aisle, so I was in the perfect position. That wasn't planned on my part. And he was about halfway down the aisle. I'm like, is he going to (laughs) stop? Is he going (laughs) to tackle me? (laughs) What's happening here? But he he ran back, and he embraced me, and even kissed me on the forehead, if you remember. And uh, so I, I told him that since he's my father, that that uh, I could call him dad. So. so I want you to think about it. I'm going to tell you to stop listening to the news. I'm going to tell you to stop cursing in the darkness because we're probably going to do it anyway. Maybe we can add to that some prayers. God, would you come in your power and do a work in our midst? I'm going to ask you to do one other thing, to pray every day, to ask God one thing, one person. God, would you show me one person that I can show mercy to today? Just one. Could be at work. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody who go get coffee, and you notice somebody's having a really bad day, and you can just, a little act of kindness, and, and it can mean so much. When I first came out to Birch Bay, I had six very lonely years out here by myself. Didn't know anybody out here. I'd go for walks by myself, and uh, I started going to a, a restaurant. I'd go for bread because I wasn't going to church. I would go for breakfast on Sunday morning, and I uh, would go to one of the ones down here in Birch Bay. At eight o'clock on Sunday morning, I was literally the only customer every Sunday. So this young waitress who was there, I was, you know, she was bored, except there I was. So oddly enough, we became friends. And, uh, she, you know, we got to tell you, regularly, you know, how are you? you, know, what brings you to Birch Bay? And I told her my story, and then she told me her story that she'd been engaged to be married, and her fiance ghosted her two days before her wedding. And so we kind of shared this little thing, and then I would come in, and she, would just, she was kind to me. She saw me. And you know, I don't know if you've ever been a, uh, in a restaurant where you just kind of feel like people look through you about your order, but they're, you know, you've like, you know, I'm not really there, but I could tell she saw me, and she would ask me, how are, how are you doing, Marty? she said you need to get a dog. You need to get a dog. When I went through this thing, I got a dog, and it, and it helped me, and she just, I think she was a believer. She just expressed kindness to me, and it meant so much to me. And I had my, friend, my family, my friends, but they all lived in Bellingham or other places, and I appreciated that. But on a regular basis, this is like the only person that I encountered, and they were just kind to me at a time when I needed it so much, and it meant so much. You don't have to have some big ministry. Just asking God, one person, Lord, that I can show mercy to today. I would even encourage you, when you come to church, it's easy for us to go, well, you know, I hope somebody encourages me today, or maybe I'm not going to go, or, but you could come for somebody else. You could come with the prayer. God, would you just lead me to one person that could, could, I could bless today? And you may have no idea what that means to them. I just want to encourage you to do that. So I'm going to ask the, um, the, our, our communion people are going to have communion here this morning so our servers will come. Uh, invite my small group to come. They're going to uh, help me uh, lead you in communion today. So what we'll do here, the, the servers will come to the front and then they'll pass out the, the, the bread and the cup. And if you would hold those and then uh, and then we'll walk you through this uh, together. So come on up, you guys. These are, these are from people from my small group. These guys have loved me, which is hard to do. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they've loved me through this season of my life and I appreciate them so much. And uh, so I thought it'd be fun to have we, we got a couple more people but um, this is most of my small group wonderful people and uh, so go, come ahead you guys go ahead and serve um, serve the communion and so we're, we're waiting for that to happen I just want you to uh, the Bible talks about us preparing our hearts for a communion let's maybe just let's, uh, you don't want to close your eyes because you won't see them bringing the cup and the bread but just in your heart let's, let's just go before the Lord ask him to speak to us so that we take communion with, uh, with a good heart before him. And then when everybody's served, we'll, we'll lead you through that. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's partake of the bread. The way that you've loved us, Amen. Amen. Right Thanks, guys. All right, we're gonna we're gonna close with one last song. But uh, I wanna uh, I don't know. Do we have a prayer ministry team today?